So I have a lot of questions. And she does. <laughs> don't start. <laughs> welcome back to this episode of Medlib's Miscellany, or welcome if you're new. My name's Carrie Price. My pronouns are she, her. And I'm Tracy Shields. My pronouns are she, her. Today we are joined by a special guest, Marissa. Marissa, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you. Um, I'm Marissa Testerman and my pronouns are she, her. I live in El Paso, Texas on the U.S.-Mexico border. Thank you both so much for having me. I was really excited when you reached out to me. We're thrilled. We were thinking of asking you to be our guest since day one. True story. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Thank you so much for the opportunity, really. Um, I'm always trying to, my online connections um, is something that I'm really um, passionate about and a a big thing that I rely on, especially in my current role uh, where I'm at. I'm always learning and growing and it's always because of the people that uh, I've met on either Twitter, on the MedLibs Discord, and the uh, Medical Library Association. (laughs) I agree, it's such a great community. Marissa, can you tell us a little bit about how you came into this profession and how you ended up here? Yeah, um, so since I was a little girl, um, my first thought was always to become a nurse. Uh, I always spent a lot of time in the hospital with my grandparents because they were uncompl- they were uh, non-compliant patients. <laughs> mm. So they were always hospitalized and I saw how much they helped my grandparents and I always thought I wanted to be a nurse, but it wasn't until I got to college that um, I saw that wasn't for me. And I knew that my plan B was always to become a librarian. I didn't care or it didn't matter to me what type of librarian I became. I just knew that I wanted to be a librarian. And so um, I went to UNT. I did a distance program. Uh, I have my undergraduate degree in English and American literature, and I have a minor in women's studies. Wow. Yeah, I took two years off uh, to plan a wedding, and then uh, I went back to graduate school. And it took me three years to finish graduate school uh, just because it was so hard for me to manage a household (laughs) and do graduate school and work full time. Um, Nothing that I hadn't done before, I just don't know why it was a lot harder um, the second time. But I ended up at my institution by accident, and so um, I started there. I wasn't going to apply for the position that was open. Um, It's really hard in El Paso to find a library job, um, especially a professional librarian role. Uh, Any time of the year you can look up a job in El Paso for a librarian position or even a library staff position, you're not going to find one. Um, positions open up every few years and so I had done my internship um, where I currently work with the intention of leaving El Paso Um, and so I wasn't going to apply for the job I was actually packed up my husband and I had sold all of our things we were packed up we were living with my mom for a couple of months before we let before we left um, for me to find a position so my husband's a teacher and He said, wherever you find a job, I'll follow. You know, it's not a big deal. I can teach anywhere. And so we were supposed to leave. Um, and then they told us that my father-in-law only had about a year to live. I live in a predominantly Mexican-American community. And so um, it, we have really close-knit ties to our family. A lot of, um, a lot of, where I think we're in the sandwich generation where we're taking care of littles, <laughs> but we're also taking care of our parents. Um, And so uh, we didn't leave. There was no way that I could consciously leave for a job knowing that my father-in-law had less than a year to to live. And so um, a position opened up at the university and I wasn't going to apply because in my mind, I was going to leave El Paso like every other graduate does. And um, they text me and they said, hey, you know, we know you did your internship here. We're looking out for your application, but we didn't see it come in you know, did you end up with another job? And I said, no, I thought you guys were just going to hire whoever has a library degree in the library. And uh, yeah, that's how I ended up at my institution. I started off uh, as an access services librarian, and uh, that was really fun. Uh, I was actually the liaison between research and instruction and circulation, and we merged. And then um, I've only been the nursing a pharmacy and health sciences librarian for about a year now. It'll be a year on July 1st. Amazing. So I have a lot of questions. And she does. <laughs> don't start. 
And I want to preface this by saying, please don't feel like you have to answer any of the questions. Answer whatever you feel comfortable talking about, because a lot of what you mentioned is related to um, family and close ties and things like that. So I don't want to intrude. But I think you bring up a lot of things that would be of interest for folks to hear about. In particular, how the assumption that you would have to move for your job and for your career and that it would be your career because your husband could just work anywhere. But to be a librarian of any type, you're pretty limited, right? And you have close ties to family and community and how that... Sorry, I'm all over the place. (laughs) Because I have too many thoughts in my head. Um, but like, how do you how do you make those decisions? And especially if if the job is not necessarily one you want. I I grew up uh, in a household. Well, like I said, uh, I live in El Paso. Eighty percent of the people in the city look like me. Um, we all have connections to one another. You know, we share the same culture. And so uh, I knew in my heart of hearts when I graduated college that I was going to have to leave. Like, there was no question about it. And that's just because that was the reality of it. Um, And that's what a lot of our instructors or professors would drill to say, you know, sometimes you have to uproot your life um, for a career that you want. And so to me, it didn't matter what kind of librarian. what kind of librarian position I got as long as I became a librarian. I don't think that I fully understood uh, what the different librarianship uh, pathways were when I started school. And I actually fell through the cracks. Um, A lot of my peers had a really great advisor and they all had their own designated pathways like, oh, I'm gonna be a medical librarian. Oh, I'm gonna be a, a law librarian. Oh, I'm gonna be a school librarian. And anytime I talked to them, I said, well, how are you guys getting advised? <laughs> and my advisor just left me out in the dust. And so I took a lot of different courses. And so I really didn't even have a specific concentration. And so I think that also led to my idea of like, it doesn't matter where I have to go <laughs> as long as I become a librarian. I think our schools shared a statistic that said at the time, this was in 2000. Well, it's not that long ago, 2018, uh, that if you didn't land a librarian job or a professional library job within a year of graduating library school, that the chances of you ever landing a library job reduced by half. And I don't know where they got that stat from. But um, so in that in my mind, I knew I had to leave. But when we found out about my father-in-law, uh, our ties are really strong, you know, um, my husband is also was also born in El Paso, born and raised, and so that's what we did. We just stayed home, and I just said, you know, uh, family will always come first, and my job will always come second. I hope I answered your question. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So, how how do those community ties and putting family first inform your work as a medical librarian? I, I recognize in my in my classes that a lot of our students are also probably going through the same thing. Um, a lot of them are also first-generation students. I'm a first-gen student. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a daughter to a single mom. I have an identical twin, and we grew up in poverty um, for most of our childhood. And so I recognize that a lot of our students are also growing up that way um, here in El Paso. Like I said, uh, a lot of a lot of the young professionals that you know, go to college, tend to leave El Paso. And so they don't, they don't bring their, they don't raise their families here. But so as a librarian, I recognize that a lot of my, a lot of uh, the students that I teach, um, a lot of our students from El Paso go to the institution I work at. A majority of them do. And that's because um, there's a, there's a type of scholarship that offers 100% paid tuition to families that make less than 70000 And so a lot of the students uh, go to my institution for free. 
and um, for free because of the you know of, of that uh, threshold that seventy thousand threshold. And so uh, I realized that a lot of our students are in the same boat that I once was because I was born and raised in El Paso. And uh, uh, when I graduated high school, I had to hustle to find a job. And so I was working full time and going to school full time. And I didn't know how to manage my time because we also didn't have a car. Uh, the three of us shared a car. And so my mom would, my sister and I had to work at the same place. We went to school at the same place. And so my mom would pick us up and drop us off. We have a commuter school. The people who go to uh, my institution live and work here. And so when I'm, when I'm in class and I'm teaching, I'm teaching or I'm, I'm offering or I'm giving information about the services I offer, I'm very, very flexible with all my students because I remember going to school full time and working full time, never having time to make friends, never having time to join organizations, join societies. I didn't even have time to go to my professor or instructor's office hours. And this was before the age of like Zoom or what would we use back then? Uh, email. Email. Yeah. So we would email each other. But, um, you know, sometimes a professor would say, well, you need to come see me in my office. And I said, well, you know, if I have to go see in your office, that means that I'm going to miss work and I won't, you know, make my full paycheck. <laughs> So I remember all of those instances mm -hmm. where, you know, I feel that I could have been a little bit more su supported um, by, you know, my the, my the the college I went to and so the college I work at now. And so I think of those mm -hmm. things when I'm working with students and I'm in class and I and I make a mention of it. You know, it, I used to work full time, come to school full time. If that's you, you know, I see you. Um, I understand you. And if that's not you, then I'm glad that you don't have to, you know, uh, go through the things that, that me or someone else in your class might be going through. It really, I feel like that's me creating a, a culture of care with our students to make sure that, you know, I'm a woman, uh, I'm a woman, uh, I'm a person of color, and I'm standing in the front and of a classroom. And to me, that's just like my dream. <laughs> I, it's like a, it was full circle when I got to stand in front of the class that I was in with the same professor. Uh, 10 years earlier. <laughs> wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I bet. That representation matters so much, mm -hmm. though. Like you said, like to see somebody like you, right, at the front of the class and just validating the experience of, I know what you went through. I know what you're mm -hmm. going through being a first gen. I was mm -hmm. a first gen college student. I mean, I had no idea what college mm -hmm. was like. I mean, everything uh -huh. I knew about college, I learned from mm -hmm. movies, which in the 80s and 90s were not good college <laughs> movies. <laughs> it's just, you know, those were not those were not good, uh, you know, benchmarks by any means. But like, I, I didn't even know what it meant to go to office mm -hmm. hours as a student, let alone have to deal with coordinating with my family, like you were talking about with your job, with your family, you know, to even make that possible. It's just so many people don't realize how important it is to have those lived experiences and to be that, that representative for people, because it's so powerful to see somebody and to know that you, you're not alone in that situation. And I think that applies to like any first gen yeah, absolutely. I think I really try to be as flexible as I can with my students. I have, I think because of the mm -hmm. nursing students that I have, I work with all of them. I see every single nursing student that goes through that program from undergraduate to DNP, mm -hmm. every single one I see, I see them at least once. Wow. And so I think it's like 2,000, 3,000 students. <laughs> it, it is. It's a lot. And, uh, the I always tell them, you know, like, hey, you know, I have an appointment scheduler, but if my schedule doesn't fit yours, just let me know. Send me a quick email. I mean, the latest I've ever met with a group was like 8 p.m. on a Wednesday. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it was it was a group of social work students and they were all eating dinner. You know, they had put their babies to bed. And um, I think it's important to show grace, great uh, to show grace to our students. Uh, I know that definitely um, I went in to it knowing that other people were probably going through the same thing I did and so um, I always want people to leave mm -hmm. knowing that 
I care for them. You know, I might not know them by name. Maybe I won't remember their face, but you know, they come looking for me <laughs> uh, and ask for something. It's because mm-hmm. probably something I said stuck. Mm-hmm. With, with that many nursing students, how could you remember I know. their names? <laughs> I see them all the time. <laughs> um, my office is right past uh, the computer lab. And so I see them in their scrubs mm-hmm. all the time. Um, it's really nice, too, during graduation, um, they, we make like a little tunnel for them. And they'll stop and say, thank you so much. And to me, that's just, that's so cool. <laughs> I, I get a, I get oh, a lot of them great. that come back because my, 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 so my identical twin is a nurse and she works locally <laughs> and I get a lot of students that say, oh my God, Mrs. Testerman, I saw your sister at the hospital. <laughs> yeah. Or my sister will tell me, hey, I got one of your students. That's just how small I feel. That's how small our community is. It, it's wow. not even that small. It's like, a, it's considered a major American city, but it has like that small town feel and everybody knows everybody here. Mm-hmm. We call Baltimore small to more because if you go out, you're going to see somebody you know <laughs> somewhere. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Do, do they ever get you and your twin confused? I guess not. I have to say it. I have to, when I introduce myself um, in class, I show pictures of me, of my dog. I always like to tell them that I'm human and I make mistakes. As a matter of fact, I made a big mistake like two weeks ago and I had to send an apology to the class. I, I do tell them, you know, like my sister is, my sister's a nurse. Because I used to, my, they used to go up to my sister and say, oh my God, Miss Testerman, I didn't know you were a nurse. And, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> or hey, Marissa, and she's like, no, I'm her twin. <laughs> Working two <Yeah>. jobs there. <laughs> and so, you know, they're babies. Uh, so I do make, I do tell them now. I show a picture of us. I'm like, this is me. This is my identical twin. She's a nurse. You might see her someday. It is not me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good icebreaker. Yeah. I even share yeah. my favorite Spotify playlist. <laughs> and and what's on your favorite Spotify playlist? Um, it's called Bolero Glam, and it's uh, <laughs> Bolero is a genre of Mexican uh, music, mm-hmm. but they call it Bolero Glam because it's uh, it's like the new Bolero, and they use electric guitars instead of acoustic guitars. That really um, and Cali yeah, Caliucci's has a couple of tracks on there, um, and so it, it's I like it. It's really relaxing. <laughs> Do you play it in class or just like share it with the students? Um, sometimes I'll play it in class. Uh, sometimes I'll play '90s R&B or hip hop or something, but I put clean 90s r&b and hip-hop yeah i do that too <laughs> i'm like no. that's that's gotta be a limited playlist <laughs> from what i recall yes <laughs> i'm gonna bug you when i make the notes uh, for this episode to share your playlist mm. just heads yeah. up i'm happy to i'm happy to share the link to it i listen to it every day <laughs> Carrie got me hooked on lo-fi. Lo-fi hip-hop, yeah, because there's no words, so it's not explicit. The students seem to like it. Mm-hmm. I've had a couple students tell me they liked it. And the thing is, I realize several people have mentioned lo-fi to me before, but it just never clicked because I didn't realize what mm-hmm. it was. So I really like white yeah. noise, but I think that'll put everybody to sleep in class. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet you it could. <laughs> And if a lot of them are working full-time jobs, going to school, dealing with family things and other community issues, making the classroom comfortable for napping is probably (laughs) not ideal. (laughs) One of the things that um, always cracked me up is how many people would come to the library to have a nap? Yeah, yes, they do. When you when I when I worked in a hospital library, so many people came to the library just to be able to nap. Yeah. And you, you know, I, I would, I found it funny because I was like, why? It's not that quiet for one, <laughs> but I think it's because nobody thinks to look for them in the library or maybe it's just an understood. If you're at the library, you're probably not sleeping, <laughs> in which case they must not remember how they must, they were as students because I guarantee most of them probably slept at the library too. <laughs> I, I've definitely slept at a library. I did too. At least once or twice. <laughs> yeah, like just just put your head down on the carol and have a little snooze. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The best. <laughs> when I was an undergrad, I never really studied mm-hmm. at the library because I found it too comfortable to sleep 
or get distracted or things like that. So I didn't, I was not the person that studied at the library. <laughs> when we were planning this episode, you had mentioned how you're the lone health sciences librarian. And I think it would be really interesting to hear a little bit more about that. So how have you found your own community? And what does it mean for you? Yeah, so I am the lone health sciences librarian. I think the people that, that had the health sciences before worked at it as a team. Um, it wasn't anyone, just one person that was dealing with, you know, nursing, pharmacy, health sciences. Uh, it was all team focused. And so uh, when I started, um, I started in access services. I liaised with social work. Um, and then a few months later, I got public health. And then they would bring me to their meetings. Uh, the rest of the team would bring me to their meetings so I could learn how to run like a literature review search or they would bring me with them to consultations. And some of the nursing faculty, you know, that they met with ended up being people I knew. Um, people that, you know, one of them was someone I went to high school with. Uh, <laughs> he became a tenure track faculty and then um, my mom's cousin it's a very small community mm -hmm. uh, used to teach at the institution that I'm at so um, I knew some of the people that were there and so I think they saw that I had those partnerships already and so they uh, I was still in access services still trying you know I was still um, trying to bring both uh, the librarians and CERC into access services into one so I would talk to RNI about access services. I would talk to or research and instruction. I would talk to research and instruction about access services, and I would talk to access services about research and instruction. So I was the person in the middle. Um, so that whole time, I was training students um, at the front desk. I was learning how to be an access services supervisor backup. So taking payments, uh, resolving access issues. Mm -hmm checking out books. And so it was a whole thing. I really didn't have a lot of time to focus on the on the health sciences, um, even though it was something that I was really interested in. Uh, I've always said uh, to myself, since I wanted to be a librarian, like, I'm going to work at the NIH one day. I'm going to work at the NIH one day. And so I still tell myself that. Uh, hopefully one day it will come true. I want to work at the NIH, or at least for like an institute of health or something, you know. Yeah. Uh, at the NIH, or um, we always joke and say, yeah, you'll work at the CDC one day when we watch hey, zombie movies. This sounds familiar. And they show the <laughs> CDC somewhere. <laughs> but uh, anyway, that's, that's a long-term goal, hopefully. And so, um, so I guess a lot of my colleagues before me, they worked on a team. They worked as a team. They, they approached the health sciences as a team. Whenever they had consultations, um, they would bring me along so I would learn how to help them uh, find the resources that they needed. I remember sitting in a consultation and watching them use Boolean operators and changing the fields, and I didn't know what they were doing, which is crazy, right? Mm -hmm. I was a librarian. Um, but it wasn't something that I, you know, that I learned in, in library school. As I said, I fell through the cracks. My coursework was everywhere. And so um, I got social work, got public health. I ended up knowing a lot of the people in nursing um, or some of the people in nursing through some, you know, someone that I went to high school with became tenure track. Um, my mom's cousin used to teach there. And so I was kind of familiar with the lingo. I had also gone to a medical magnet high school. Mm. So oh, for the nursing. I knew a lot of the termin yeah, yeah, so I knew a lot of the terminology. Uh, I knew a lot of the terminology and be like, hey, why don't you try this word instead, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I think, you know, my boss had told one of my colleagues, uh, you know, I think I'm going to make Marissa the nursing librarian or I'm going to give her nursing. And like, I think she can manage it. And so my colleague's like, hey, you know, you might want to start learning a little bit more about nursing because uh, yeah. that was, at the time, considered the big fish mm -hmm. at our institution because they're just so big. And so I started learning a lot. I think at one point, you know, my boss was like, hey, you should look into the Medical Library Association. And so I did. And I got that discounted uh, year. Mm -hmm. I got Yeah, I got the discount for the first year. But I didn't really have a lot of time and to like peruse the website i think my whole priority at the at that time was training the students mm -hmm. so i didn't know anything about caucuses or anything like that and 
as a matter of fact, I even think I let my medical library association membership expire. And then I got word probably like five, six months later that I was going to be the nursing librarian and that I'm also getting pharmacy. Oh wow. <laughs> and the rest of that and the rest of the health sciences. So I was like, ooh, better get a get better get moving. Mm. And so I rejoined the MLA. I joined every caucus that I thought was relevant. Um, I got a mentor and um the mentor was, uh, her name's Helena, uh, Helena Vonville. Oh, yeah. Um, Sounds familiar. Yeah, and it, it, yeah, yeah, she's at um, the University of Pitt, or she's at Pitt, um, and we, she was my mentor through the MLA colleague connection mm-hmm. or something like that, but she was from, she lived in Texas for like 16 years, and so when we met and she found out where I was, she's like, I visited your institution. It's like, I remember your director. And she said, you know, Texas wasn't for me. And so that's kind of mm-hmm. how we connected. You know, she had visited my institution. She knew who my boss was. And I knew that she was doing systematic reviews because she, she brought it up one time. She's like, oh, would you do any, is any systematic review work? And I said, no, I don't. <laughs> and um, very early on, I had only been at my institution for like two months and my boss had sent us an article about systematic review service. And so it had piqued my interest the entire two years. Uh, yeah, two, three years that I was there. I would always think about that. Mm-hmm. And so when um, Helena mentioned it, I was like, I want to know more about it. So every time I met with Helena, she taught me a little bit more about systematic reviews and her process um, and how she would document them. And so... I, at the same time, I was like trying to learn. Um, kind of when I got nursing, pharmacy, and health sciences, I was still doing access services because they hadn't found someone to fill the position. Oh, that's a lot. So I was balancing both. Yeah, I was balancing both roles, and yeah, I I feel like I've really grown over the last year. But it's only because I haven't been afraid to reach out to the online community, that is the Medlibs on Twitter, mm-hmm. on Discord, and um, the caucus. The cock, the different caucus, uh, the different, how do you, what's a plural, caucuses? Uh, <laughs> caucuses to the Medical Library Association. Caucuses, yeah. And so. Um, Which ones are you on, as someone, if you don't mind saying? Oh my gosh. I feel like I'm on a lot. <laughs> uh, I can read them off to you. Let me open them up. <laughs> They're free to sign up for. You I can think sign up for all of them. Assign, I, th- I don't think I've joined like a handful of them. But uh, from the top of my head, Systematic Reviews was the first one I joined. Yeah. Um, I'm on Academic Librarians, I think. Uh, academic mm-hmm. Librarians, Clinical Librarians, and Evidence-Based Practice, even though mm-hmm. I'm not a clinical librarian. <laughs> um, collection Development, just because that's another role that we have. Um, I'm also on the Complementary and Integrative Health, just because the pharmacy school. Uh I think I'm on data, consumer and patient health information services. I'm also oh, yeah. on the federal libraries one. Uh, <laughs> health humanities. Uh, I'm on hospital library for some reason, but I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I think I just hopped on there to try to learn as much as I could. Right. Uh, definitely Latinx. Mm, libraries and health sciences curriculums. Medical library education. New members. Uh, NARS. A pharmacy and drug information because of the pharmacy one. I'm also on public health. I think research, scholarly communication, systematic reviews, technology and education, uh, and I think that's it. <laughs> you weren't you weren't kidding. <laughs> no, I I think I was just trying to. I signed up for all the listservs, um, even things from the Texas Department of Health and Human Services. I signed up for their RSS feed. <laughs> Just so I could see what was coming out from their office. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, being part of um, the MLAs and finding the hashtag MedLibs Uh on Twitter um, has been life-changing for someone in my position, someone who's doing completely new work. I always liked your Twitter handle. (laughs) Are you, you're at? At Barry Bib. Yeah. Yeah, at Barry Biblio. I think it's really Um, cute. And a little strawberry. Isn't there a little strawberry on it? Yes, I am a diehard strawberry girl. <laughs> <laughs> They're everywhere. Oh, that's funny. So you're no longer doing access services anymore, right? That's that's over. 
yes, that's definitely over. But um, I'm out of their department, so I still talk to them because I still spend time at the desk, but I'm no longer training students or uh, being an access services supervisor backup and taking payments and right. counting the cash box and doing all that good stuff. Yeah, I, I, um, I spent some time doing that too, so I have one very important question for you, which is what is the strangest thing you've ever found in a library book? We found a photo of <laughs> we found a photo of this man. It looked like he took it himself. He was like grilling. I thought that was the weirdest thing we've ever found. He took like a selfie and it was printed, which I thought was weird, right? I mean you take a selfie of yourself grilling and then you print the picture. And put it in the book. That was <laughs> Yeah, I put it in a book. <laughs> You know, there's a lot of things that you could take a picture of and print and put in a library book. I think grilling yeah. is a little odd, true, but there are worse things you could come across. I think someone found a cheese slice. <laughs> <laughs> like like, that was like, Amer- like American in the like plastic? A craft, yeah, like a craft single. No. Just, was it still in the plastic, yes, though, or was uh, it like it out of the plastic? The plastic. Okay. Oh. <laughs> You know, it's funny. I, I, when I worked in my, at my last library, I don't think I ever found anything in a book, but I did once get a book return that was clearly mm. chewed on by a dog. <laughs> I mean, it was very obvious. And I'm like, you returned this and thought we wouldn't notice. I mean, I, and it's funny because my coworker was like, what happened in that book? I was like a dog. A dog happened to this book. I guarantee you, the way it would, the way the spine was chewed on. I was like somebody liked the taste of the glue, and got caught before they could eat the rest of it. <laughs> I was like, ask me how I know, Boone. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Actually, it was the dog I had before oh. Boone. Boone has never eaten a book, surprisingly. Given the number of books uh, he's access. had around, around him. him as potential victims. <laughs> yeah, my dog Ava loves paper. Loves it. Um, I have to close the doors to the bathroom because if not, huh. she'll take a, a little chomp out of the toilet paper and take it with her everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's so funny. I have a picture of her as a puppy. <laughs> my brother has a, a two new puppies. Um, slightly different ages, but... His newest puppy is a golden retriever, and um, he, the, he discovered toilet paper a couple of weekends ago. And my brother said, sent a picture. He was like, I heard, I heard silence. And I thought, <laughs> where's the dog? And he went looking, and the dog was no longer doing anything to the toilet paper, had left the bathroom, but had, you know come back to inspect with my brother and was like, yeah, see what I did? Look. <laughs> I was so proud of it. So proud. It's so cute. I have a picture. I think it started at like puppyhood for Ava. She's almost, yeah, she's almost eight this year. And so I have a picture of her probably like two, three months old where I caught her in the bathroom with the toilet paper kind of like wrapped around her and in her mouth. <laughs> I think she was spinning in it. But yeah, she's had that. That sounds like something a cat would do. That's, a cat behavior. <laughs> the toilet paper. I was wondering if being the lone health sciences librarian presents any challenges for you. I think it does, um, especially when it comes to doing like systematic review work. Yeah. And sometimes even, you know, just your general question, I can ask the people who were doing health sciences before me. But when it comes to like systematic review work or any type of evidence synthesis or things like that, I, I have to ask people online. <laughs> and so uh-huh. I think that's a challenge in itself, right? Like I don't, want, I don't want to be, I know that I recognize that obviously people have their own work. And then, you know, here comes Marissa with a question. Mm. I, I, Zara, uh, Zara, uh, Zara. Uh, Premji. Yeah. Uh, she taught me how to do my first mm-hmm. systematic review. She even hopped on to uh, a Zoom call with me oh. on Ovid. I was so eager um, to start trying to do that kind of work. Um, as I said, it's been on my mind since 
my boss had sent that article out and then talking to um, Helena about systematic reviews, I said, hey, I think I can do this. Like, I want to do this. And so um, I had gotten so frustrated during when uh, someone had asked me for a literature review search and I couldn't get it narrow, narrowed down enough. Like I didn't know, you know, about proximity searching or adjacency searching. And I had already been a librarian for like two, three years. Um, I think I just didn't have enough experience searching because I was so busy training students <laughs> how to run the front desk. Yeah. And so I got so frustrated and so discouraged and so when the opportunity came to learn more how to uh, to learn more about searching, um, more about doing like evidence synthesis, I was desperate to get hands on learning because that's how I learn best is actually going through it, not reading something mm-hmm. and then trying it. I put a call out on Twitter and Zara answered. <laughs> mm-hmm. Zara answered and yeah, she was really, I think a lot of the stuff that I learned or that I know now really is because um of people I've met online like you too Carrie I think you were the one of the first people I found on Twitter under the medlibs hashtag and I think Tracy too yeah and so I've been following you guys for a while I've been following you both for a while and I learned so much all the time from seeing your post uh and not just yours like all the other medlibs too but I I think that's one of the challenges is like having to rely on an online community (laughs) and making sure that I don't that I don't weigh too much on uh, other on other librarians who have work to do. So I I think you bring up a good point because it is it can be challenging to to find that balance of take out all my pauses and ums because, you know, (sighs) I talk so slow with Carrie. I find it. She's so used to that. I find it endearing. And, and fixing my stuff. <laughs> but like, it, it can be so challenging, right? To, to balance out asking for help, especially when you're mm-hmm. a, essentially a solo librarian like that, and relying on others outside of your institution, outside of your circle, to be those mm-hmm. mentors and um, just colleagues, you know, somebody to just ask a, a question of, hey, you know, I've looked at the search mm-hmm. forever and ever, and I can't figure out why it's not working. Tell me why it's not working. You know, ha- reaching out to somebody like that, but also mm-hmm. not being a, a drain on it, right? Because you have, I think everybody, especially in the beginning, is more of a taker than a giver. But once you kind of find your footing, you can be that giver. You know, it's... It, it balances yeah. out. I always say, you know, like, I, I can't wait for the day that I give more than I take. Because I am aware of how much I take from, from my colleagues, you know, online. And I, I'm always thankful. And that's why I always say, like, hey, can I, how can I recognize you for your efforts? Like, do you need a letter for your, for your packet? <laughs> um, I have sent gift cards. <laughs> I was like, I've sent gift cards as a thank you. You know, I look up restaurants in their city um, and I'll send something over because uh, I, I realize, you know, that people don't have to help me, um, but they do because, you know, they, they, you know, especially Zara, you know, she chose to hold my hand the very first time I was searching everything and she didn't know me and she did it for like a complete stranger. And so anytime I have a question, you know, I'll ask Zara and I, I did tell I did tell her, you know, hey, you know, I know that right now I'm taking a lot, but I promise, you know, that I'll that I'll pay it forward when that time comes. And and I feel like I apply that to everything. You know, I even now as a as a professional librarian, I, we have interns, we have students and I try to help them out just the same way that I was helped out in the beginning, you know, where I, I wasn't going to apply for the job. They called me and they said, "Hey, you're not going to apply." And so <laughs> I try to I try to pay it back whenever I can. So I I really do look forward to the day where I can give more than I take. Well, and I think we're just kind of naturally mm-hmm. those type of people that are drawn to this profession are, you know, to be helpful in that way. But I think we all do have the expectation that it will balance out, that we will ask for help, but eventually we'll give back in some way too, right? And also just knowing that when we help our colleagues, we're not just helping our colleagues, we're helping other users, beyond our colleagues, because we know those colleagues are going to help other people. Like it's, it's a much bigger web than just one person that you're yeah. helping eventually. Right. 
But let me let me ask you this, Marissa. What, especially with you being new and having to make the effort of reaching out to people online to find those mentors, to find that advocacy and help, what can we do as medical librarians to make it easier for people like you to get that assistance that you need and to be inclusive enough or at least more inclusive than we have been to be able to help people like you? I think that when people share their knowledge in an open platform (laughs) like Twitter, you know, I think that we learn a lot and then just being able to make those connections with other people on Twitter and being kind and open, you know, to helping and offering that help. I know that been distressed on Twitter sometimes <laughs> and, you know, Carrie or Peter or anybody else, you know, when I use the hashtag medlibs, um, they'll say, hey, you know, if you have a question, just DM me or here's my email. And I think that that has been so helpful uh, to me in my position. And I know that other people could would also benefit from seeing that. I know that some of the caucuses in the Medical Library Association um, also offer mentorship. And I, I think that lone librarians should also, uh, or lone health sciences librarians like me, should take, opportun- should take advantage of their membership and sign up for mentorships, sign up for the caucuses, sign up for the emails, try to network a lot, try to network a lot. I remember my first systematic review meeting, uh, I met Layla, (laughs) Layla Ledbetter, and uh, I just emailed her yesterday, and and she emailed me back, and I had a question for her on something that I saw in Prospero. And she offered to peer review my search. And she said, hey, you know, feel free to use my search blocks. And I think that the medical library, medical librarians or the medlibs are already so generous with their knowledge that I don't think a lone health sciences librarian like me would struggle finding that information. Like it's out there. Um, you know, Carrie makes her videos. Tracy, you share a whole bunch of stuff about <laughs> PubMed and all the updates that, you know, it's coming out. And so that's really like if someone wanted to grow and learn, um, it's just looking out for that information. You know, Um, I know that people were really opposed to using social media professionally Mm -hmm. for a while, but that's really what's helped me grow. And I I recommend any other lone health sciences librarian, you know, to join the association, to get on social media, at least Twitter, Mm -hmm. um, maybe even Mm -hmm. Discord. And that way they have like access to that community. That's great. Yeah, I was going to say something and it went away. (laughs) I do think it's a great community. Oh, I know, which is that my first librarian job, I was one of several or many medical librarians. But then since then, I've transitioned to a job where I am the lone health sciences librarian. And I was thinking about your situation and how, how incredibly difficult it would have been to learn what I have tried to learn over the years if if I were just alone (laughs) if I were just me and I didn't and I did definitely ask my mentors so much and I still do I mean like 10 years in I still ask a lot of questions so I hope we always will I think it's one of the things I like about this field of work there's always questions to be asked yeah I would say that's my favorite part too it's like there's always something to learn something to improve things are always changing and so I think becoming the nursing, pharmacy, and health sciences librarian, I kind of saw it as a challenge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I saw it as a challenge. I was like, yeah, I- I'm going to know all this stuff. I'm going to learn all of these things. And so I feel like I've grown so much um, over the last year. But it's honestly, it's because I have this whole online community that is so open and so willing to share their own knowledge. Yay. Yay for Medlibs. Mm-hmm. Yay for Medlibs. The best I got a little teary-eyed when you were talking about giving back what you've taken, but that's a great way to think about it. Yeah, I I really do mean it, you know. I try to yeah, give back. Yeah. I think it's it's only fair, it's only right. 
Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you wanted to talk about, Marissa? Hmm. I don't think so, no. Let me see. Let me check my notes. No, I think I, t- I, think I touched on everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, we always ask our special guests, um, an, besides what you found in a library book, there's another special question we have to ask every guest. Tracy, will you do the will you do the honor? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm gonna make you do it. Um, you, you probably know, but it is. How do you feel about crabs? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I have not run that word in PubMed yet. <laughs> May you never have to run that word in. <laughs> Just be careful because it'll map, it'll map to other things. There are things, <laughs> there are things I wish I could unsearch. <laughs> After years and years of searching, there are so many things I wish I could unsearch that will no longer be in my search history. Not just at PubMed, but, you know, Google lives forever. <laughs> so are you a, are you a crab fan? Are you allergic to shellfish? Hopefully not. No, I don't. I don't think I've ever had real crab. I'm in the middle of the desert. <gasps> That's what I thought. So when I go to Charleston, I was like, when I go to Charleston next month, I'm looking forward to having. I think they have blue crab down there. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to having real crab. I don't think I'm allergic. No, I'm not allergic to shellfish. I would be allergic to shrimp, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm not. So. <laughs> so if you're if you go to if you go in Charleston, try to go somewhere or or try something um the low country crab boil. I asked Carrie about this once and she had no idea what I was talking about. But basically it's you boil crab, other seafood, it can be shrimp, whatever else. Um with like potatoes, corn, old base seasoning, other things. It just kind of like all in one pot and then you dump it out and just feast. It's so good. It's so good. I'll definitely listen. And, and here in Baltimore, we do not <laughs> boil our crabs. We steam them with old base seasoning only. There's no other oh, no other way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I've never had crab. It's crazy. I'll be a You're going to have to list. come visit us and we'll we'll go <laughs> crab feasting. Crab feasting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard getting seafood out here. I can imagine. <laughs> I I did some time in West Virginia and that was not a place you want to eat seafood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Either. No. I we have a Whole Foods, one Whole Foods oh, and wow. um yeah, they were shucking oysters, and I'm just like, uh-uh, I'm not going to eat oysters uh. in the desert. <laughs> I think I think that's very smart of you. I'm sorry, I'm just not going to eat oysters, Oh, I love, <laughs> I love some oysters. I know. But, yeah, that's how it goes. Poor Marissa, seeing behind the curtain, she's going to be like no, these people. No, not at all. This has been really fun. I just get really nervous talking to new people. So do I. So, <laughs> yeah. I get so nervous talking to new people, but I I hope that it comes out okay. <laughs> it, it did. It was lovely. And I'm an introvert with, with um, mediocre conversational skills, so that's why Tracy and I are a good team. <laughs> <laughs> She makes me ask all the questions, and that's why, and she's like, good thing I have my pauses and, and slow talking is endearing. <laughs> this is us. I mean, we mm-hmm. what you see on Twitter is us. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how I got to know Carrie, too. So, yeah. I, yeah. I was like you. I reached out to Carrie. I was like, hey, Carrie, um... Can you like peer review a search for me, please? Mm. And next thing you know, I I'm up in her DMs and she can't get rid of me. <laughs> all my mm-hmm. colleagues know Carrie's name. I was like, yeah. Uh-oh. I was like, oh my god, look at this thing that Carrie shared. They're like, oh, Carrie Price. Oh wow, <laughs> I met. Yeah. So let me tell you. So I, um, I recently joined, uh, mm-hmm. started a new position, and. 
I name dropped Carrie one day. Accidentally talking about something else. I said, oh, somebody was mentioned something. I was like, oh, Carrie Price said that on Twitter. And they're like, oh, I love Carrie. I was like, yeah, she is the sweetest part. They're like, oh, you know Carrie? I was like, yeah, I know Carrie. Aww. I'm looking. Carrie helped me oh. pick out my apartment. Yeah, I got to go so, apartment shopping. That That's fun. so cool. So do you. Yeah. Speaking of people who give above <laughs> and beyond. I'm still looking forward to our photo op, Carrie. You too, Tracy. Yeah. If you go to MLA next year, I'm excited oh, to take a picture. I'll be there. I might. <laughs> I, I will definitely be there because I they have asked me to teach my our class. Are you in the association that has the mascot of the armadillo? Yes, the South Central chapter. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was great. So <laughs> our mascot is mostly a crab, but it's really funny because they like have stickers for their armadillo. Yes, and I think they raffle a quilt every year. With armadillos yeah. on it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like true dedication. Yeah, I think we'll get to meet at MLA. This has been fantastic. Yes. I wish we could talk about so many more things with you, but I guess we have to, for the interest of time, give mm-hmm. you back to your Step. life. But thank you so much for <laughs> and joining you to us. Yours. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I was really excited to meet you both (laughs) and talk to you. We were really excited to have you and spend some time with you. So we're just thrilled. This podcast was produced by myself and Tracy Shields, audio edited by myself, with show notes by Tracy Shields, and transcriptions by Jen Monin. Find us on Twitter at medlibs underscore miss, M-I-S-C, or email us at medlibsmiscellany at gmail.com. You can find Tracy on Twitter at TC Shields. You can find me, Carrie, on Twitter at Carrie Price 78. Our theme music is Nerdy and Quirky by Music Town on Pixabay. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.